welcome to the It Should Be Fine podcast. I'm your host, Misa. This is part two of an education, so if you haven't heard part one, I recommend going back to listen to episode three. Last August, I interviewed my friend Noelle, a high school English teacher in a public school district in the greater Seattle area, about her experience during the pandemic and what she looked forward to in the new school year. During that conversation, we touched on a lot of topics, including what it was like shifting to distance learning with little warning and even less planning, how the pandemic affected her students, many of whom came from underprivileged backgrounds, and how the last two years have illuminated wildly different perspectives on the purpose of public education. We caught up over Zoom after her first week back at school post-winter break. A lot has changed for her, both personally and professionally. She's become a first-time homeowner and finally moved into the house she spent the summer renovating and left the school she'd spent her entire teaching career at for a new one. And while that first semester was challenging for a myriad of reasons, including all the transitions and the emergence of Omicron, she remains optimistic about the rest of the year. First off, you're at a new school now, so how is it different from your previous school? Is it, you know, in the same district? Uh, What is the student body like at your current school? The school is um, much bigger. I think that is the biggest difference. There's also significantly maybe twice as many students who identify as white. And I think just in general, it's in a neighborhood that is considered working class, but a little bit more middle class than, than my previous school was. All of that aside, the biggest difference I think I see in my new school is uh, the size of the school, which affects like the community. It affects like the feeling of connection among staff and students. Um, That has been a big change for me since I was at my previous school for such a long time. Which grades are you teaching right now? Oh, my wheelhouse, ninth and 10th grade. (laughs) How would you describe this school year thus far? It has been a really difficult year. Easier in some ways than the remote learning year and infinitely harder in many other ways. I just mentioned that I teach ninth and 10th grade which I've taught since my um, time student teaching, although I've taught other things here and there too. And um, I've never had (laughs) 10th graders who felt so much like middle schoolers. And in teaching, you know, there's something that we try to avoid, which is called the deficit mindset, which is, you know, viewing students' struggles or things that are difficult from, Uh, like a negative perspective. I'm careful to like always try to reframe and to understand the things that I'm seeing, but I've never had 10th graders and 16 year olds like spend the whole class poking each other with pencils or really struggle to find their notebook in their backpack or a lot of like social interaction type of things, a lot of like self-regulation, a lot of, I don't know, just like independence and autonomy in dealing with schoolwork. I think the eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade transition years are so crucial in building that. But since these students were online for all of ninth grade and for a significant chunk of their eighth grade year, especially at the beginning, sometimes I would sit and be with my students and I would think to myself like, oh, this must be what middle school teaching is like. 
Yeah. So it sounds like the gap that the pandemic caused led to some almost developmental effects in some ways. Maybe that's too strong a word, but behavioral or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think a lot is probably being said nationally about content gaps and testing scores. But what I have noticed most of all is, yeah, those emotional regulation skills, those like executive functioning skills, those things of just kind of like knowing how to navigate school. These students never had a freshman year. They never really had an eighth grade year. So a lot of those things that you just kind of pick up like ownership, belonging in a school building, all of these things are these intangibles that really build a student's experience and the way that they embody the classroom, the way that they navigate their school community. So now in, um, after a few months of school, almost at the end of first semester, I think I am beginning to see those things taking shape, but oh man, September, October was really difficult. And it was hard to see students struggling with these things that I felt should have been innate. And then I had to realize like, they aren't innate, but they take time to learn. And these students have had less time to learn those things. So you're back from winter break, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're teaching in person? hmm Yeah. How has that been? Because my mom at Seattle Central, well, I'll spare you the details, but they were very <laughs> disorganized. Whereas, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, University of Washington announced during the break they would go back to a distance. So I was curious how that's felt for you as an instructor, you know, how your school and your district has been coping with new variants, higher case numbers, et cetera. Yeah. The week before winter break, I think uh, the testing numbers were kind of beginning to rise at my school and in the district overall. And of course, over the two weeks of winter break vacation and family gatherings and stuff, That's spiked a lot. So our school district actually canceled the first day back from break of in-person instruction and um, made rapid testing available for all staff in the morning and then all students in the afternoon who wanted it. And I felt like that's a really responsive plan. Um, And thankfully, they had the resources to to gather that many tests. And I think I think I read either in an email or something that the positive rate was 4% among students and staff. And I feel like there've been so many numbers and statistics. I no longer know if that's low or if that's high, but I think there has been so much new guidance being sent out constantly, like on the national level and uh, all the way down to our district level. And, you know, after one week of coming back from break, I still don't have anywhere close to full capacity of my students. Out of a class of 35, I have maybe 25 students coming back to school. Um, I think some of that is because of like positive tests. Some of that maybe is because of suspected COVID or just other sickness. And then I'm sure there's so many other factors too. Vacations, you know, spending time with family, school start to the year, et cetera. Um, so it has been, it has kind of felt like, even though we are in person and we haven't gone to remote or hybrid, it has kind of felt like, how, how do I, I don't know, make this like a meaningful time in the classroom. It's kind of felt like we're in a little bit of a holding pattern, waiting to see what's going to happen next. 
Last time we had talked about how your students had expressed to you how much they missed the social aspect and being with their friends, but also the sense of missing out on milestones like graduations and dances and spirit weeks and all those things that I think sort of make the high school experience. Is your school, are they trying to engage those types of things again, reincorporate them, or is it just focusing on being back in the classroom and learning? We are having spirit weeks. You know, there are clubs on campus, but it still feels, it still feels like a lot of things that bring students physically together are still unsafe and so have not been taking place. Dance is definitely one thing that I realized was really missing from an in-person year was assembly. And I know that assembly, you know, every high school movie like has an assembly scene and we know how often like those moments can be very awkward or, um, you know, kind of uncomfortable for, for many students. However, like the reason why those are so significant is because there's something about just like being in a classroom and seeing your whole class, being in an auditorium or a gymnasium and like seeing your whole school that builds those social bonds and those interpersonal ties and that like idea of a group identity. And so I realized I was like, man, with no, having no assemblies, maybe something that is kind of like the, just one of many like missing pieces, another, yet another missing piece of that kind of communal experience. And I'm sure you've heard Nisa about um, just like nationwide, all of the struggles that are happening in schools, like the increased struggles that teens and young people are facing. And one thing that I've really seen and heard from a lot of students is this like lack of connection or this absence of feeling of belonging to the community, maybe because the school is so much bigger, that's part of it. Definitely because students have only been at the school for a couple months rather than a year and uh, a longer amount of time. But I feel like that has led to, there's no center. There's no center that's like holding the whole student body together. That's something that, I, yeah, that's something that I feel like I hope will be, will continue to build over the year. I was thinking recently about how Every generation experiences at least a few traumatic events, whether it's a war or an economic recession. And, um, you know, just wondering what the long term effects of the pandemic will be on these young people, like the, you know, people of the age that you're teaching. You know, it sounds like right now a lot of it's kind of social or psychosocial, I suppose. So it's interesting because I think, you know, for people our age, it was more. I guess it's more outwardly visible, like, because, you know, we graduated into the recession and then the long-term effects for us, I think, or people our age is waiting longer before a marriage, either delaying or choosing not to have a family, not owning a house, like that sort of thing. But I think what you're describing with your students is more um, internal effects or something, you know, that it's a little harder to see from the outside. Yeah, there have been, I think, within the first week of school, there was a huge fight on campus and for for a period of time I'm not sure if this is accurate but it felt like there was a fight happening every other day and 
you know, a lot of the staff who have been at the school for a long time were, you know, trying to reassure me, like, you know, this does not reflect our campus and our students. And I, I definitely understand that. But yeah, I think the the feelings and like the emotional regulation or just, you know, the I'm not even sure exactly what it is, but the hurt and the pain and all these things that young people are holding and all of a sudden from being just in your room with your family to being, you know, with a thousand other people, that was probably the clearest visual example of how difficult the pandemic and all of this whipsawing back and forth has been for for teens and for young people. And it's been really heartbreaking to see. It's been really sad. And that's, of course, like the most like outward and visible example. A lot of difficulty engaging, a lot of kind of what I talked about last time, like that withdrawing into oneself and I've seen a little bit of that. And whenever I notice it, it's, I always make a mental note of, okay, like, can I restructure this classroom to, I don't know, be a little bit less self-centered and a little bit more like community-centered and group-centered, just to slowly, slowly, little by little, try to help students have the opportunities to just like engage with each other in safe ways. This mostly comes to mind because I've been watching the show Station Eleven on HBO, which is based on a novel about a pandemic. But I was wondering if you have or have felt compelled to incorporate literature like that, that kind of parallels what society has been going through. You know, it's been hard to find the the perfect and the right texts and materials to do that. But I do think it is really important. I think I've been thinking about how to leverage those moments because I have noticed that my students are far less interested in talking about the effects of the pandemic than adults are, perhaps for them because it did become so normalized and happened at the most formative time of their life. So in the beginning of the year, I did try to talk a lot about pandemic effects and we read some articles and try to have some discussions, et cetera. But I noticed that they weren't quite so vibrant. So it's more effective when we address the same questions and the same issues, but in a little bit more of a roundabout way. Like we'll be reading a text um, set in Iran during a civil war, and then students will draw a connection back to the pandemic. I'm still looking for ways to make sure that kids can process and really think through all of the things that they've been experiencing, but I haven't yet found the content to do that. Yeah, at least just for me as a casual viewer, some of it is timing too, because I think when there are works of art that mirror what you're going through, like there are times when it can be cathartic and comforting, and then there are times when it can be terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, it's the balance. Like, will this be helpful? Will this be a processing moment? Or will this re-traumatize. I also think I'm just like sometimes very aware of how old I'm getting and how students are telling me more than ever that I don't get things or (laughs) you don't understand our generation. And I'm like, what? I'm not that old. But then I realized I actually am growing farther and farther away from this age-wise. On a slightly different topic, I listened to a podcast a few months ago about TikTok challenges and high school students. So I was wondering if you have witnessed any of that behavior or heard about it or have you been spared from it? Slap a t-shirt week. Uh, thankfully, I 
did not, no one at my campus experienced that. But I think for a while, all of the soap dispensers in all the bathrooms were ripped off the walls. Wonderful, especially in a pandemic. Great move. Oh, man, I can't remember right now if this is at my current school or my previous school, but there was a bathroom sink that was completely ripped off the wall in one of the bathrooms. A lot of shopping carts have made their ways into the hallways, like Target has free advertising in the hallways of the school. I've seen and heard of street signs being placed in the bathroom. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> Side note. If you're not on TikTok and you don't know about the list of pranks that was being circulated among students throughout the past year, I envy you. But if you want to know more, the podcast I was referencing is Reply All, episode 181, titled Absolutely Devious Lick. I actually have to do research on TikTok sometimes because I'm like, okay, I need to like, I need to immerse myself in (laughs) my students. I just want to be sure that I'm not being a teacher thinking that I know what students need and giving them my impression of where they are. But I'm taking the time to observe them and talk to them and ask them what they need. And sometimes they don't know, but sometimes even if they don't say it explicitly, like the information that they gives me is is more effective. Thanks for listening. This podcast was written, edited, and produced by me, Misa. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review or send a message to itshouldbefinepodcast at gmail.com. 